the biggest thing I think with a triathlete of any level is knowing, knowing paces and how to pace themselves. That Triathlon Show, episode 23. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we have an interview with Sean Jefferson, who is a professional triathlete coming from a professional running background, and he has a mile PB, which is a smoking fast sub four minute mile. And we are going to talk about run training for triathletes because he has a thing or two to say about that and knows his stuff when it comes to running. He, among other things, is actually the running coach of Holly Lawrence, who is at the moment the best female 70.3 triathlete in the world, having won the world championships last year and dominating so far this season as well. So before we go into the interview, and Sean used to be on the Nike professional running team based in Eugene, Oregon, and was running for them for a couple of seasons, but injury problems halted his running career. So that's when he turned to triathlon at first just to keep fit, but pretty quickly he qualified for a pro license. So it's a pretty great story that he has, and also he had no swimming background whatsoever. So that's something that we are talking about in the interview as well, because he, in that regard, has the same background as many of many of the listeners do with coming from maybe running or cycling or no endurance sports background at all and swimming is a challenge and he had those same issues so we talk about how he tackled those and part of that solution was actually employing the help of a former interviewee on the podcast Jerry Rodriguez who's still to this day I think the third most downloaded episode back in episode three so you can go and check that out and it was actually Jerry who recommended me that I talk to Sean. So, and I'm very glad he did because it's a great interview. Um, it's pretty late here in Finland and I'm tired. So I'm not going to waste too much time and we're going to jump right into the interview. But just one thing after the interview, I want to give you a quick rundown since this is a running episode about the running that I've been doing so far in 2017 how I've been laying out my training so you can get sort of a case study of what the run training actually uh, I stand corrected it's not me that have been uh, designing this program it's my coach Simon Brierley so uh, I don't take any credit for it but anyway you get a case study about what the run training program of somebody really targeting uh, fast sprint and Olympic distance races could look like and hopefully that can be of help to some of you guys training for those distances i don't think this is the program for you if you're training for longer distances but that will be after the interview with sean so let's dive right into the interview welcome to the show sean oh yeah thank you for having me Okay, so as I said, we're going to talk mostly running today, but uh, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your background. So how did you get into running in the first place? What sports did you do growing up and how did that turn into running? 
Yeah, so I grew up down in South Florida where it's it's warm year round, so we play sports all the time. Um, I grew up playing baseball, soccer. Um, I swam for actually a year, but that was when I was really young, and then stopped to get into m- more of the ball sports. So, yeah, mainly just soccer and baseball growing up, and primarily soccer. Soccer was the one that I really liked and was probably the best at until. I got into running in middle school and then high school and then really excelled from there to uh, go go on to go into college and compete at a college level. Um, And then, as you mentioned, Nike Oregon Track Club and then kind of got to triathlon through through the running background. So it's been a a long journey. Yeah, that's funny. That's... uh my trajectory exactly except for the excel part i'm still working on that but <laughs> soccer running and then triathlon so when you got to uh, to to the nike running environment in in oregon how did professional running work out for you you spent three years there was that right i was yeah i was there for three years um for me professional running didn't really work out that's why i ended up transitioning to triathlon um I had more of my success in my last couple years of collegiate racing. Um, and I'm not sure if it was a difference in coaching philosophy between collegiate coach and professional coach, or just the group I was in in Nike Oregon track club was so much more competitive on a daily basis from every day you show up at practice and who you train with, it's the level of competition is so much higher. So um, for me, I was always injured when I was running for Nike. I didn't have a lot of consistency and I'd have maybe four to six months at a time where I was running and healthy and I'd get to a good spot and then another injury would pop up. And whenever those injuries popped up, I supplemented with swimming and biking. And then after three years of being pretty consistently injured is when I got into triathlon and started, I started racing just as a way to stay in shape while I did have a big injury. And then I liked the sport and started doing pretty well. And after one year of training and racing, I was eligible to turn pro. And then I had a decision to make if I wanted to go back to running or kind of pursue triathlon and I end up pursuing triathlon. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And which year was that? And uh, since then, what has happened in your triathlon career? Mm-hmm. What are the highlights of that? <laughs> so I started racing in 2009. 2010 was my first professional season. And I think just coming from the track background and always having the goal of competing at the Olympics as my the ultimate goal for me as a runner, it was the same as triathlon. I, when I went into triathlon, I looked at trying to make an Olympic team. Um, so I focused on ITU straight away. And the last six years I've raced ITU and coming from a non-swim background, it's, it's tough to, to race on that level. If you haven't swam since you're five to six, all the way up until you're 20. So I, I'd swam when I was, like I said, maybe one or two years as a, as a little kid, like five, six. And then I grew up surfing. So I was always in the water, but I was, didn't have the technique down. So I was comfortable in the water, but, um, my career highlights in ITU were probably 
my best finish was top 20 at a WTS race, which was uh, 18th in Stockholm a couple of years ago. And then I've had a um, couple of top 20 World Cup finishes, but nothing that nothing to kind of compared to where I was running. And it's and a lot of it is that hit or miss on the swim. So some races you're completely out of it. Some races you you end up making a pack and you get to the front and you finish like like the one in Stockholm, I finished top twenty. So and that was always my battle with ITU. I was always trying to make that pack that made the front pack. And a lot of times I missed and more often than not, I didn't make it. So it was always a little bit of an up and down um, battle for me to to have a good good result in ITU. But yeah, it's it's difficult, definitely. <laughs> if you don't get make that pack, so what are your goals now for triathlon? Are you doing it? So training? yeah, after after last year with Olympic selection, um, and I got hurt early last year during March. I started racing the World Cups in Australia and New Zealand, and got hurt in the middle of it, and that pretty much ended my Olympic chase for for last year. And I was on the borderline long shot anyway, so I took most of last year as kind of a I was training a lot, but I was trying to refocus and decide what I want to do. And ended up doing my first half Ironman at the end of last year. Um, and then I think that's more of what I'll do this year. I'm, I'm looking to do some of the races here, like Oceanside and St. George, and get into more of the half distances this year and get a little bit more away from ITU, which I'm pretty much done with now. Okay. So now let's shift the focus into running and run training so can you mm -hmm. give us a brief snapshot of what your training throughout your career running and triathlon has been like and uh, you mentioned that it worked well for you at the collegiate level but not so well at uh, nike so uh, kind of dive into those sort of details what has worked and yeah so my the things that i think worked the best for me in running um coming from transitioning from a high school a good really good high school runner to a really good collegiate runner where in the NCAs, like you mentioned, sub four minute mile, I ran 356 for the mile. I broke our, our collegiate school record at Indiana, which is we've had maybe five or six Olympians who are at Indiana before me. So I broke some really, really like stellar guys records. Like, I don't know if people recognize the names, but Bob Kennedy, Jim Spivey, these are guys, they're Olympians competing to try to win a medal. And um, I broke their school record. And I was also a good miler, but I also was three-time All-American in cross country. So I could run 10K on the grass and still be competitive. Um, so I had a pretty good range from the mile up to five and 10K. Um, and most of my collegiate training was based more on threshold running. So I was a miler and I pretty much only raced the mile or 1500, but I trained more like a 5k, maybe a little bit 10k training. So I was running 80, 90 miles a week in cross country season, 75, 80 during track season. And most of my training was built around threshold instead of high, high end intensity. And that's more of the stuff that got me injured when I went to Oregon track club. It was, trying to combine too much of the intensity with higher mileage. So I, I kept my mileage the same when I went to run for Nike and I was running 70, 80, 85 miles a week, but I was working out 
we were doing three track sessions a week. And like I said, I'd be four five, six months at a time being healthy. And then I'd, I'd crack, I'd break, I'd get injured and then have to start over. And it just didn't work for me. So it was, it was too much building too much intensity and while doing too much volume just wasn't a good mix for me. Some people could handle it, but my best success was when I was doing a lot more threshold running and not, and going and then sprinkling in high intensity occasionally, not, not all the time. So that's, that's what I found worked for me the best. And it's kind of what I bring into when I'm, doing triathlon and preparing my training for triathlon it's more of what i look to do yeah so can you give us a couple of examples of your bread and butter threshold workouts that you did so like my one of my favorite workouts is like a six mile progression run i start at 5 30 pace and try to cut down to a five minute pace and that's that's just a moderate run it's not a it's not like a high intensity hard run. It's, it's just one of those working on your threshold. And that's, that's something more done during this, during the early part of the season in your base building phase. So just working on pushing the limit of where your threshold is and running at that there, so for. Sean, for, we, had, we had some connection yeah. issues there. So can you repeat that? <laughs> yeah. Where do you want me to start from? Uh, yeah, for from the six mile progression run, it's it's not a like really intense workout, and then yeah, yeah. So those I I view those workouts as more strength building and aerobic, uh, like pushing your th aerobic threshold instead of running. So you're completely exhausted at the end. Ideally, you finish that run and you feel like you could have gone another mile or two, um, and then during the course of the your base building season is progressing that run to a little bit longer, a little bit longer distance, depending on which races you're preparing for in the race season. So if I was racing ITU, I would probably only do a progression run of six to eight miles. Um, someone who was doing a half marathon or full marathon at the end of a triathlon, I would assume building that to even further 15, 16 miles. Mm. And you're training now, your run training specifically, how does it fit into the big picture triathlon training? Um, it's so with ITU, I was so focused on swimming that even my running took a back, a back seat to everything. It was all swim focused. Um, going into like the non-draft half Ironman stuff, it's much more bike run focused. So my swim is instead of swimming five or six days a week, I'm swimming three to four days now. And, um, biking has kind of become more of the main focus over, over this past year, I would say. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so, so the amount of training that you do, well, how many run workouts and, or how much mileage? Yeah, the duration of training hasn't changed much. Um, I was probably training 20 to 25 hours a week last year, and I'm probably still training 20 to 25 hours a week this year. It's just the proportion of hours spent versus swimming. I would swim six when I was really in heavy swim training, I would swim six to eight or yes, yeah, six to nine times a week. So now I'm swimming four times, but I'm spending much more time on the bike, um, building, building specific bike strength instead of trying to get faster in the pool. It's just more maintaining 
the gains I did make over the past three years in the pool. Um, and then just really working on building strength in the bike. Yeah, I read on Traflit that uh, when you started out, you, you were swimming, was it like 50, 60K per week? Yeah, like yeah, that? yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, you also coach triathletes and runners. You've been helping Holly Lawrence, who's uh, yep. the 7.3 world champion out a bit with run training. Yeah. Uh, or do you coach her like officially in triathlon as well? How does... No, just running. Just yeah. running. Okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, can, I took over her run program um in may of last year so mm, and yeah. then you can still continue to work with her yeah so what i want to ask you is if you consider a few different scenarios of let's say first a competitive short course triathlete and then a more mid-packer or even beginner triathlete how would very a very generalized run program and progression look for somebody like that um the biggest thing I think with a triathlete of any level is knowing, knowing paces and how to pace themselves. Um, so that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing to learn with triathlon. A lot of people, like if you go to a spin class, you ride really, really hard and you, you come out of that class and you're like, Oh, that workout was so hard. And you feel like you've made big gains in it with running. If you do that, you'll continually get injured. So the, the, the biggest progression and path for any triathlete, I think, is one that they, their body can handle um, physically and two, that, they're, that it fits into their schedule, that it actually makes sense. If you're a good runner naturally, you may not need to run as much as someone who really needs to work on it. So it's just it's one of those things that people get caught up with. Oh, I've got to hit a number. I have to hit 60 miles a week to be a good runner. Um, I find that with triathlon, the numbers aren't as important. It's scheduling in two to three quality sessions a week and a long run. And then everything else is just preparing for your main sets and your main sessions. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to, just, hard to, I, the people I coach, I do off an individual basis and it's hard to just cookie cutter, put a program to anyone. So it's, um, each person is so different and with what yeah. they can handle and what they're good at. Yeah. So despite your background and you, for yourself, threshold running, working the best, do you also try different things with different triathletes? I guess that for somebody that doesn't work out at all and you then try a more. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I coached a triathlete a couple of years ago. There was, um, he was racing for Chile and he was trying to make the Olympic team. And he, so he was really, really good at threshold running and just it, it worked wonders for him. Like he was having his best runs he'd ever had just continually building like long six to eight mile runs at a pace that he didn't think he would be able to hold for that type of running. And he'd never done before, but anytime I gave him something fast, like, you know, a typical running set of 12 by 400 on the track, um, anything that was too fast for him or just that I thought that oh, that's not even that hard of a workout. He really struggled recovering from those sessions. So then we ended up just taking him out and his best races were when he was just really, really running well at the thresh on his threshold and not going too hard. He, when you, when you look at a race at the, a 10 K at the end of an, at an ITU event, you're not really running that fast. You're running 32 minutes 
for a lot of the guys are running 32 minutes. I mean, the top guys are running 29 minutes to 30 minutes, but there's maybe five or six guys running between 29 minutes and 30 minutes. The rest of everybody else is running between 31 and 32 minutes, which there's not a lot of need for someone to go on the track and run 250Ks if when they get onto the race course, they're running 310Ks. And that's what we found with him. He, he could run at 315 to 310Ks for 10, 12, 15Ks in a training run. But if I gave him five by a K it, and he was running under three minutes, it would just take him way too long to recover from a session like that. And so our, his best training was when he could just consistently do a lot of a lot of training near threshold. So two to three days a week, we'd have... Can you repeat that again? We had some, some connection issues again. Your best training. Yeah, sorry. So his, yeah, his best training was just building a lot of good quality sessions, but not going too hard because it would push him over the edge and it'd take him a week, a week and a half to recover from a really intense session. So we would still do some intense sessions, but there are few and far between. And and that's when he ended up racing his best and had his best results. So, mm. How important do you consider running form and technique for, for age group triathletes? Or is that something that you work on? Um, I personally don't try to correct anyone's form. Um, my philosophy is more there are things that can help correct form. So is running hills, um, doing doing strides, so just working on faster turnover for short periods of time. And then the other, the other, the biggest part I think is just consistency and building up volume um, in a responsible and smart way so someone just doesn't consistently get injured. Um, I find it that it tends to be inefficient if someone thinks about trying to lift their knees higher, do faster cadence that's not efficient for them personally. And I think each person needs to just find, will end up eventually with a, the right amount of training, find the form that's going to be the most efficient for them. Mm. So trying to force uh, something that's not efficient on someone isn't, I don't think it's going to make them much faster. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about swimming and shifting gears mm. again to that and how you got into swimming yeah. when you started triathlon. What was your baseline level and uh, what was your progression like? Uh, so I, when I first started, I wouldn't just join master's club and was just swimming and I had no idea paces times. I didn't know the difference between a 50 meter pool and a 50, 25 yard pool. And that there are big time differences. I thought if you swim a hundred in a 25 yard pool and a hundred and a 50 yard, 50 meter pool, the, the time should be the same. And so that was back in 2009 and I started, joined a training group in Claremont, Florida that had a couple pros in it. And we were just doing workouts. I, I don't think I could hold a one. I probably wasn't able to hold a 125 yard base. So I was like, not, I wasn't even making. So meters, I probably wouldn't even be able to hold a 130 base on a meter pool. Um, but I just, I didn't have a lot of swim technique coaching either. I just jumped in and started swimming and, you know, swimming with a couple other pros. So I try to do what they were doing and eventually realized that I need more technique and I need probably to swim more yardage than the other pros that have been doing this for a long time. And so then I joined uh, like a kid swim team 
like the high school team that was swimming in Claremont and swam with them three days a week. And I think my longest sessions before joining them was like 4,000 yards. And I was then started swimming with that team eight to 10,000 meters three times a week. So it was a drastic jump for my three main sessions. <clears throat> and that made a big difference, but I still wasn't getting enough personal attention or um, specific training that I felt like I needed. Cause all those kids, all the kids in masters swim teams still do a lot of non freestyle and, you know, work on technique and other, like a lot of kicking. And it's just something that I wasn't, didn't need. So eventually I found Jerry and moved out to California to train with him. And I've trained with Jerry for the last four years. And my first two years is when I made my biggest improvements. And that, that's when I was swimming that 50, 60,000 yards a week. I was swimming twice a day, three days a week, and once a day, every other day, except for Sunday, and put everything else pretty much on the back burner. It wasn't biking. Or, I was still biking and running, but it was at such a low level that I was just trying to survive those uh, those 60, 60K weeks. And, and then that in combination with all the open water training that we do here is, is kind of what made the for me, the big difference in really learning how to race and how to draft and how to sight and just all the things that pertain to triathlon swimming that you can't get mostly in a pool. Um, at least I felt helped in, in my IT racing and will continue to help in all the races I, I do this year. So, yeah. And, uh, for listeners, Jerry is Jerry Rodriguez, who we've had on the show before. So we'll link to that in the, in the show yeah, notes yeah. for this episode. And, uh, so what did you, what were your main takeaways? What, what would you say that you, that made you improve the most? Um, <clears throat> one consistency, just, I, I mean, I think that's the key to, if you want to get good at something, you have to do it consistently. Definitely. Um, and having Jerry hold me accountable. So having a coach that is committed to seeing, committed to having you get better and really cares about what you're doing and not just there standing on deck, shouting a workout, but actually cares and will plan out what is going to make me the best. Cause there wasn't anybody else doing 60,000 yards a week in our program. It was just me. And he was giving that to me because that's what I needed. A lot of the other pros that some of us don't need that amount of that volume or they have, they have experience of swimming since they were eight. So it's, it was specific to me. And I think those are the things in any sport, in any of the disciplines, if you have a, if you're committed, you have a good coach and you follow the program, then I think that's the best way to, or the smartest way to get faster and better and, as long as, as long as those things are in place. Mm, great answer. So finally for both running and swimming, are there any mistakes that you feel that you made earlier that you, that didn't work out for you? We yeah, already so talked about definitely running. swimming. Um, if I could go back, I would have found a coach, a swim coach that that checked all the boxes that I was looking for straight away when I turned professional. So the first few years I was out with a coach, a co my coach was remote, so he wasn't even there. And I was just getting a paper, a worksheet on a piece of paper and going to the pool and doing it with three other athletes. Um, 
so it wasn't even written specifically for me. It was written for a group of people. And if I could go back, I would find a coach that would give me the specific things I need straight away. And I probably would have saved two years of trying to learn on my own and figuring out through mistakes. And, and then I would have been potentially another year or two ahead of where I was last year, which was the be important year, 2016. So that's for swimming running. Um, it's hard to say with running. I, I've, I wasn't happy with how my professional career went, but it's, I mean, I just think it's part of, part of the sport too. You, when you do try to push yourself and you do ha end up having to take risks and in running, when you take risks, you end up getting injured. So it's, you can either take risks and be injured or sometimes those risks don't end in injury and you're really, really good. So, um, unfortunately for me, I ended up being injured in some key, like critical times of my running career where I have friends who were on the same program who ended up making Olympic teams. So it's, it's, it's hard to go back and say what I could or could have done in running because it's, it is one of those things you ride such a fine line and unlike biking and swimming, if you go over the line in running, you do get injured. Whereas biking and swimming, you may just be really, really tired for a long time or for a couple of weeks and take a couple easy weeks and you can come out of it. But in running injury, I was out for close to a year in 2008 with two running injuries. So it's, it's uh, it's a much finer line to tread and harder to pinpoint when you should pull back and when you should press forward. So, hmm. All right. Thank you. This has been very helpful. And let's close off by moving into some rapid fire questions. Yeah. So what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Um, I don't know if it's a habit, but I really enjoy sleeping. So I try to get eight to nine hours of sleep at night. And then I also do take a nap during the day. So that's, that's probably my, I don't know if that's even considered a habit, but that's, that's where I'm going with that. I would, I would say so. I think <laughs> Matt Dixon. Nancy. And I think that is, yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a thing. People I mean, being well rested and prepared for your training session is important. So, yeah. And what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? In swimming paddles. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, and in the, anything in triathlon? Um, Cycling, bike. What bike do you ride? Um, I, w I was on a, well, with ITU, I was on a S-Works um, Venge. So, but I'll be switching to a time trial bike. Just haven't, haven't got one yet. Okay. Most likely a track. Yep. And uh, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon, running, or swimming? Um, so the only podcasts or blog that i listen to is jerry's um it's the only one i've gotten into and listened to consistently other than that i've i don't read a lot about or i'm not a lot on blogs or podcasts it's just yeah jerry's, but Jen, the only Jen, one I jerry's is a great a great tip yeah yeah advice everybody if you're gonna listen to yeah. that he's um I just like his point of view on a lot of things. Um, he's 
I mean, and I've known Jerry for the last five years. So it's everything he says on the blog is just, um, I mean, I've heard before and I've, you know, so it's, but I, I like to get uh, refreshed on the, on his point of view. And I just think he's, um, I think he's very perceptive and smart and has a good view on, on uh, a lot of things. So, yeah. All right. Sean, so where can the listeners find out more about you? And uh, if you want to plug some your coaching or your sponsors or anything, feel free. Oh, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not too much on social media. I have was in the past. I've just kind of gotten a little bit away from it. But I'm on Instagram at Jefferson, Sean, S-E-A-N, and Twitter at Sem Jeffy, S-E-M-J-E-F-F-E. Um, so if anyone wants to follow along with what I'm doing, that's where I'm at. Yeah, and we'll link to that and to your website in, in in the show notes as well. Cool. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope that you learned a lot from that interview. And uh, just to give you some more running information, as I said at the top of this episode, here's a quick rundown of what I've been doing running-wise in 2017. So uh, just to give you some brief background, my main goals this season are the sprint distance and Olympic distance national championships. The sprint distance ones are coming up on June 16th and then Olympic distance are at the end of August. So there's a fair uh, amount of time between them. Then there's also a third A race, which is the NatWest Island Games on uh, June 23rd, I believe it is. That's on an island in Sweden and it's pretty cool uh, race so you can google that it has all sorts of islands like Jersey, Isle of Wight, Bermuda and since I'm actually originally from an island here uh, that belongs to Finland that's why I'm participating in that. Anyway in January I did two to three runs per week not too much intensity some runs were just tech runs with uh, some drills and my long runs most of my runs, except some of the tech runs, were on the treadmill because anytime I had to do anything faster than just basic, basic endurance, it was too cold to do that. Uh, it was minus degrees and a lot of snow, so and uh, really serious uh, negative degrees, so nothing, nothing to do any intense stuff in. And my long runs, as I was about to say, were not your regular easy long runs, but they were zone-free, so steady state long runs, and long runs in quotation marks because they were actually just one hour but uh, usually on a steady ride like that on the treadmill i got in uh, 15k so around four minute k pace was what i ended up with and i also did one 10 kilometer tt on the treadmill i was going to do a race a 10k race but i didn't want to risk it with the conditions i didn't want to risk an injury basically with the cold and all the ice so i just did a time trial on the treadmill instead but uh, my biggest week was 34 kilometers and that may sound like not a lot and it isn't and the idea with running is uh, in my opinion and uh, in my coach's opinion as well to do as little as you possibly can but to gain the most fitness benefits that you can because when you start to add miles that's when your injury risk really goes up and me coming from a running background i'm all too well aware of that and the average was much lower than the 34 it was probably 25 kilometers per week so that's nothing really but um, it's all about setting you up for the 
good running that is to come in April or was going on in April and now in May as well. So it was all good. And in February, I starting, started doing more high quality workouts all still on the treadmill because of the snow and the temperatures so these were workouts like five to six times eight hundreds and uh, then i did the same long run basically a one hour or one hour 15 uh, steady run a zone free run as in january and one 10k road race that i did actually in the cold and ice so the average running volume per week was maybe slightly higher about about uh, 27 to 28 kilometers per week but still nothing much but those interval workouts in particular they are a really good way to build fitness quickly so i started to really feel good with my running even though i was mostly running actually two or sometimes three runs per week then in march i had another 10k road race which was in cyprus actually and it was horrendous because it was so hot and i wasn't used to it at all i was at a training camp in cyprus and uh, yeah that was uh, probably my worst run of the year um uh, but uh, more generally about my run training i started to add some more volume in march with an easy run most weeks and the workouts the quality workouts that i had now were a fartlek run which uh, was zone free still so it could be something like two times 10 minutes at zone free so actually it was very easy compared to what i had been doing for the long runs but i also started doing brick runs and the reason that those fartlek runs were easy was that overall my training intensity increased with more heavy stuff on the bike so so still trying to take it a little bit slow with ramping up the run training and the average running volume was still around 25k per week or so but then in april i started uh, with more proper run training now that the races are approaching starting in june and i started doing a weekly track workout and these are hard serious sessions but i actually love them they, they are the favorite kinds of sessions in all of triathlon for me but that's probably because i i'm come from a running background but i really do love track workouts even though i'm not i'm not fast i'm not a fast runner but but the track workouts that i do are usually around they're vo2 max type workouts so it's still not much faster than maybe a bit faster than 5k pace some might be a bit faster like clearly faster than 5k pace but but it's not sprint workouts so the kind of workouts that I did for these track workouts, for example, might be 16 times 400 meters at a slightly faster than 5k pace with a 45 second recovery or even a 20 times 400 I've done and uh, stuff like 8 times 800. Those are hard. I hate those. I hate 800s in general. I like 400 so much more. And uh, then uh, the, I can actually recount this workout as a workout of the week because i did it yesterday so it's fresh on my mind uh, the 32 times 200 workout that i did so 6400 meters of quality running in total and uh, that was one that was clearly faster than or well slightly faster than 5k pace i would hope but uh, a bit faster than what i would have run for a, let's say a 16 by 400 so i had 20 seconds rest between the 200s but then they were split into sets of four 200s so it was basically eight times four times 200s and between each set there was an extra minute of rest so it was uh, usually yeah it was uh, three rests that were 
20 seconds and 20 seconds and then the next rest was always 1 minute 20 seconds and that was always a much needed rest because those 20 seconds they fly by by the time I have stopped running and walked back to the line where I will start the next 200 at least 10 seconds had gone past so my rest was reduced to almost nothing but uh, if you do it do work it like this I, this workout went really well and I was very happy with it but if you do work out like this, then you should make sure to scale it to your current abilities. So you can reduce the number of sets, for example, or or reduce the number of reps within each set to maybe three 200 instead of four 200. So something that you might do would be four by four by 200. And, uh, and make sure that you stick to your pace, that you actually are like clockwork in your paces. So I, I was very, very rigid would stick to sticking to my pace and i managed to do that i made sure not to go out too fast so i could maintain the pace i think i ran about 310 pace kilometer pace so that, that would be something like 37 38 seconds per 200 i think but anyway it was like clockwork within one second per 200 nothing no more deviations than that so, okay, that's a bit of a sidetrack, but a workout of the week for you. And I will have this in the show notes so that you can check it out and and adapt it to your current abilities. So, yeah, that that's what I'm doing now actually in May. So with this April that I started talking about uh, is continuing with track workouts in May. Going back to April, I started doing brick runs as well, 10 to 20 minutes long and fairly intense uh, not too intense they're they're still supposed to be controlled but they are usually high zone three or something like that even going into zone four and uh, the average running volume would be probably around 30k per week i had a calf niggle actually at the end of april so i skipped a couple of runs and one track workout i had to skip but it's fine now and so that's what i did the first week of may started with just easy running no workouts just to make sure my calf was okay and now that i'm back in the swing of things i'll actually in may it will be 45 runs per week april was already an increase with at least three runs per week some weeks were four now it's going to be 45 runs per week a couple of them are brick workouts so pretty short but still in a 20 minute brick workouts i usually get in five five k in zone three and then the one track workout that i just talked about and then a long run that will be it's fairly short because i'm targeting short course races but at most 90 minutes so 75 to 90 minutes usually and then some easy running as well just to get running volume and uh, for those of you that are preparing for sprint and olympic distance races if you have been in triathlon for a while and you're no, no stranger to hard workouts and pushing yourself a bit i think that this is definitely a framework that you can you can steal and copy and and apply to your own training for sure so uh, yeah i encourage you to see if this is something that works for you and uh that's it that's i just thought that some people have been asking me actually about my training i not not sure i haven't got enough questions basically to warrant talking too much about my training because i think i might bore people but uh, i want to add a little something here so if you have any comments if it's something you like or you dislike then let me know by sending me an email to michael at scientific and that's michael with a k anyway that's uh, we're approaching the end of the episode oh one quick shout out by the way 
by the time this episode airs this past weekend will have been a heavy racing weekend for uh most of the athletes that i coach actually uh, three of them are running half marathons uh, all of them are triathletes but they're running half marathons now as training races and uh those are in uh, finland and one in latvia actually although the athlete is finished as well and uh, then uh, another athlete in the uk is doing a sprint triathlon so that's the triathlon race of the weekend so shout out to all of you uh tito hadri marina and sarah so good luck guys we will talk soon about your races and how it went and uh, that's uh, coming up on the end of this episode now so uh, please if you enjoy the show and find value in it it would really make not just my day but my year if you could help me get the word out by telling your friends and going to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash rate and that's where you can rate and review the podcast or it will take you to itunes actually so you can do it on itunes or you can go directly to itunes if you know how to do that but itunes is not always the easiest application to maneuver so that's why i made a quick link for you on the next episode we will have another swim specific episode kevin Koskala of TriSwimCoach.com will be on here to talk about swim training for triathletes and how to laugh at the water, as he likes to call it. And uh, it's a good one, so make sure that you tune in for that episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. This show is nothing without you, the listeners. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.